Hi, I am Tingen, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. Welcome to Season 1, where we interview mums who are technology company leaders based in Southeast Asia. We want to hear stories, hopes, challenges, and tips from mums who are raising kids while pursuing their career aspirations. In this episode, we speak to Queenie, Executive Director at Standard Chartered Bank. Born in Hong Kong, raised in Australia, and now in Singapore, Queenie has almost two decades of experience with Accenture, ANZ, and DBS Bank in technology and digital roles. She also founded a movement, Untold Stories, at Standard Chartered to create a platform for inclusion stories to be shared. Queenie is a mental health first aider and has a daughter, Angela, aged two and a half years old. Hi Queenie, welcome to the Parents in Tech show. To begin with, can you tell us a bit more about your family? Sure, I'm Queenie and I was born in Hong Kong, but I moved to Australia and grew up there since I was 10 years old. And five years back, I was headhunted to move to Singapore for a banking opportunity. So as for my family, I'm a proud mother of my miracle child, Angela. And after facing many years of fertility challenge, Angela was born when I was almost 40. And since then, she has been my pride, my joy, and she's now two and a half years old. And it's also the first generation of COVID baby. In my family, my husband is my key pillar of strength. He is so supportive, calm and patient. And I think without him, I wouldn't be where I am today. A little bit about him, he's Australian with German and Filipino blood. So I guess it makes our family quite multicultural. That's wonderful. Well, I guess Angela's two and a half year old age. She's starting to learn how to speak and basic words. Yeah. How did you explain what you do at work to her? Well, Angela haven't yet asked me about that, but since she is the first generation of COVID baby, I have been working at home majority of time. So work for her is where mummy's in the room having video call with auntie and uncle. And sometimes she joined me as a special guest also. But I guess as a serious note, for my role as head of strategy and transformation for a bank, I will explain to her, it's like playing with building block that I play with her when we build a city and a train track together. You know, we need to think about what's important. Where is the big item? How do we want to place them? For example, where do you want to place the hospital block? How about the school? How about the police station or even the playground? And then we lay our train track and bridges around it. And the key question is, where is that train track going to lead us? Is that going to lead us to a bigger and a better city? So yeah, I'll explain strategy and transformation just like building Lego block. And I guess with kids, you know, they like to knock things down and rebuild it again. So every time we build it differently, it's almost like transforming the city again with our key building block. Yeah, that's wonderful. I think it's so nice, this analogy that you come up about building train tracks, making sure that you know where the direction is headed. Now, Queenie, you mentioned something interesting, right? Which is essentially you became a mum when COVID struck. So I have to ask you, it's COVID good or bad for you as a new mum? I think everything, there's positive and a negative perspective on it. And I'm someone that's always half glass full. So even though there are challenges with COVID, like we just had to change the way we work and so forth and, you know, home-based learning, everything kicks in. But in hindsight, if you look at it, without COVID, we won't be able to spend so much time with our family. Both my job and my husband's job is quite demanding. In the past, we had to travel overseas quite a lot for business trip. 
again, it's that quality time that we can actually spend together and seeing her grow, seeing her say the first word, make the first step. And I think these are precious moments that traditionally as a working mother, you might have missed some of those opportunity where I think working at home and having that bonding time have make a big difference. So I definitely see a positive aspect on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the same for me. In, in the normal world, we will be flying in and out. But I think because of this whole COVID situation, I'm able to see my daughter's first step, first crawl, first everything. And that's wonderful. I like to call this the once in a generation opportunity where you are able to have your job while kind of not missing out on these live yeah. events. So that's nice. But maybe let's dull even a little back, right? Which is around the whole journey of the pregnancy and like you mentioned, it was a miracle child. Maybe tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. I guess for us, it's been challenging a few years. The reason I actually moved to Singapore was when I was told that I was diagnosed with an immune disease that I couldn't have child. So for me, one door closed, another door opened. So I thought, let's take on a job opportunity and move to Singapore. As I have worked longer in Singapore, my desire of having a kid is still there. You know, someone I can grow and nurture. So then we thought we'd give it a, another chance. And that's when my miracle kids happen. So, but it hasn't been as easy as mentioned. We went through a few postnatal challenge. And first, I think I would like to explain what's postnatal challenge mean, because it's such a term that maybe people don't are familiar with. Postnatal challenge is something that can be both physical and mental. And I guess one common physical aspect of it, it's fatigue and being sleep deprived. Because as a new mother with the constant clockwork and just waking up two, three times a night and also the lack of me time and referring back to a few of the earlier podcasts, I think I recall one of the mother sharing, just even having alone time to shower or go for bathroom. It's a luxury. So this is some of the postnatal challenge that maybe people don't really openly talk about. The other aspect, it's a mental one and it can be hormonal related and it does impact your mood, your anxiety level. And you can start to worry about everything and your perspective, sometimes it gets blurred on how you sort of react to different situations. And I think one key myth that I want to explain about, you know, postnatal challenges, it can also lend for a long time or it can even be re-triggered. It's not necessary something that immediately after you give birth, but it can be something that triggered even as a mum returning back to work. So these are some of the personal example of challenge that you face after giving birth. Got it, Queenie. And I guess for you, what was most challenging? Like, If I had to ask you to dial back to two and a half, three years back when you first welcomed Angela to the world, what was perhaps one of the toughest moments that you had to face? I guess, yeah, I think when I first returned back to work, it's dealing with a new team, with COVID being hit, everything is sort of up in the air and with just so much changes. And I think personally, I haven't yet embraced my new identity as a mother, whereas I straight away dive back into work. And with COVID, you know, the line between work and home definitely start to blur when you just work from home instead of going to the office. So that's where the notion of like doing double shift really happens. Once you finish work, then you continue with looking after your kids and stuff. So I think that is where one of the key challenges I face. The other more common one is the mum guilt. It's a common feeling when mother return back to work. First, want to feel like you fit in because it's been a while since you've gone back to work. But at the same time, you also want to be a mother. And it's a constant battle in your head trying to play the two roles in just one single capacity. And for me, the famous quote that really stuck to me, it's like, 
you can have everything, but you can't have it all at the same time. And for me, that's the biggest lesson learned about this balancing act. It's like a muscle that you constantly have to train and everyone have their own different circumstances. So you just have to find out what works for you and how do you do this balancing. Yeah. And I'm curious, right, for you, when you think about the balancing, let's say in the first three months returning back to work, how did that look like? What was the balance? What was the priority list like? Yeah, I guess for me, it's about setting boundary. And this is one thing that as a leader, I also get to introduce when I have my team is what we call a social contract, which is what is the boundary and the way of working we want. And that's when I sort of go through what I mean by the golden time. What is the golden time in a day? That's very important to you that you want your flexibility and you don't want to be disrupted. And for me, that golden time is the 6.30 to 8.30. That's my time, spend time with my kids to bath her, to read her story and put her to bed. And I think that's very important when you first go back to work to communicate and share this is your golden time. And this is not just applied to mothers. In my team, I have millennial, I have single people that have elderly care responsibility. Everyone have that golden window that they want that flexibility. And for me, that what's really helped is sharing what that means. And by sharing, you actually create this accountability within your team. And we do send each other nudges. Hey, it's seven. How come you're still online? You need to go cook for your mother and stuff like that. So I think that's a very fundamental building block you need when you go back to work is setting that boundary and working out this new flexibility that you can have with your team. Indeed, that's wonderful. And I like this concept of golden time. So when is golden time for you, Queenie? And what do you do during that period? Yeah, so my golden time, it's the 6.30 to 8.30. As I mentioned, it's the time that I spend bathing my kids, reading story and playing with her and putting her to bed. And recently, I've also been interviewed and someone's asked me, what is the magic moment? And I think a lot of people talk about, I've won this award, this is this achievement. And I think she was really shocked when I told her every day my magic moment is before I go to bed, I just peek into my daughter's room and seeing her fast asleep and just sleeping peacefully. That is the magic moment for me. Wow. And did you expect that before you became a mom? That such a simple, small thing like looking at your daughter's sleep could bring so much joy? Definitely no. And I think being a mother, you learn and you discover lots of surprising things. And you can't prep enough. I'm a pretty organized person, but you just can't prep enough to becoming a mother. I fully agree. Well, Quidi, what did some of the preparations look like as you were preparing to welcome Angela and even after she came into the world? Yeah, the key thing is, I think as a family, it's not just a preparation for myself, but I think with my husband, what does our household look like? What is the value that's important for us? And I think that is a very core thing. And the rest of the logistic aspect, we can sort it as we go. But I think the core value in your family is very important. And, you know, how we also set out share responsibility within the household, because we know both of us are going to return back to work, but yet we also want to provide the best for our kids and be present for them. So I think that communication, that discussion is actually quite key in preparing myself. And to be honest, no matter how much you prepare, you will just be hit with very unexpected thing and you just need to learn to deal with it and go with the flow. I fully agree. There's so many books, videos, you, even people you could talk to, but like you said, there's never 100% preparation. So maybe what was one of the things that caught you by surprise or was unexpected and you and your husband had to deal with it? I guess the most surprising thing for me is actually the 
lesson and new skill I learned as a mum. It's so invaluable and I cannot learn in any job. Usually I'm quite a, not a very patient person. I will say I'm quite fast paced and like thing bang, bang, bang type of thing. But once you have a baby, my patient level definitely have increased tremendously and, and you just learn to listen. And as I mentioned, I'm pretty organized, like to plan everything on a spreadsheet and so forth. But with kids, it's just so spontaneous. You just really have to expect the unexpected. So ability to learn to juggle, be brutal on your priority, it's one of the biggest lessons. And quite surprisingly, I think after being a mother, I've actually become a better and more rounded leader because I understand more about nurturing, about empathy, and I focus on what's really important. Whereas I think prior to having kids, I probably want to do everything. <laughs> and I'm a bit of a perfectionist before, but now I just grew to be a better leader. I can totally see that, right? On how being a parent helps you to be a better leader and, and vice versa. The part about how you can't plan, it's so true. I think one thing when I had my newborn, it's they don't care what they're doing. If they're hungry, they're uncomfortable, they just yeah. cry, right? And it's like, you got to put down whatever you're doing. It's so different from before being a parent when, let's say, work comes up, it's easy to tell our, our spouse, hey, I'm busy, I need time, and it's generally respected, but uh, yeah, kids don't understand that. But I think that's also one of the things that, like you said, helps to nurture that patience. Now, Queenie, you also mentioned about sleep deprivation, something that I'm sure all moms, especially those who, who are breastfeeding, go through. How did that look like for you, and how did you manage it? I think it's something that I'm still battling with. Like my daughter's two and a half and she sleeps in her own room, but every night she politely knock on my room and try to climb into our bed. So every night I still do get wake up at least once or, or twice. And this is just going to continue because sooner or later they're going to learn about toilet train. You have to wake them up anyway. So I, I think it's a continuous journey and you just need to learn yeah, to work around it and what gets your energy up. And that's why it's quite important in the morning. Now I start to have my own morning routine because sometimes when you don't have enough sleep, what, what gets you right? It's not just about drinking coffee and so forth. But for me, is having my walk, my little alone time. That will really pick me up to start my day. So, you know, incorporate those little routine that works for you to get you through because it's not something that you can control in your own time. Because, yeah, some parents, I'm sure this slept deprivation, that journey's gone on for quite a few years. Absolutely. But it's about carving out a routine, that space for you to, to be able to, to focus and do what you need to stay sane, <laughs> no matter what happens. And of course, a big part of this that comes in is the support that your husband gives, right? Earlier, you mentioned about aligning on core values and, and sharing responsibilities. Can you shed some light into how those conversations went? Maybe starting with the core values bit, right? Because both of you come from very yes. diverse and different backgrounds. How did those conversations look like? To start off, we are opposite a track. We are very completely opposite and our upbringing is very different. <laughs> Traditionally, coming from an Asian family, I was brought up by a helper. My mom was also working. And when we moved to Australia, my mom gave up her job to look after me. And very typical Asian, I only left home when I was 33 when I got married. So my whole life bringing up, I was looked after by either a helper or my mother with housework. So little do I know. Whereas my husband's upbringing is completely different. Both of his parents actually work in the hospital. So they actually have to rotate to do shift, day shift and night shift. So they had that foundation of shared responsibility worked out from the start. 
how the dad look after the daytime and the mum look after at nighttime. And he grew up in a family that's pretty independent, that he learned to do his housework, to clean, to wash. So it's very different. And that's one thing that inspires us, that we want to demonstrate that shared responsibility at our everyday life. Because how your kids being mm. brought up, they learn from us. We are the role model. So if you want this world to be more equitable, you start with your home because they will definitely instill those value in them when they grow up and when they actually start their own family or even in the workplace. So I think that's one thing that's very important to understand your upbringing and how you compromise and work through it with your partner and instilling those value at home. Yeah, and maybe I'll just share a very recent example that we had. A few weeks back, I was actually quite unwell. So what happened is my husband decided why doesn't he took on the responsibility to sending Angela to school every morning. At the end of the week, my husband came back and just shared with me how much he has bonded with Angela just during that 15-minute ride every day to school. He mentioned how she shared about who lives here, about what her friend does, where the friend stays, and they have so much more rich conversation in that 15-minute every day that he sent her to school. To a point that my husband say, hey, how about we change thing out? Moving forward, I'll drop Angela to school every Tuesday and Thursday. Wow. And sometimes a little bit of rotation or switch thing around, you'll be surprised the impact on the relationship between you and your spouse and also with your kids. And Angela is someone that take a while to get her to school. She would like to drag things on. But now every Tuesday, Thursday, she's like, daddy, I'm ready to go. So that's definitely benefit for both parties. So I guess my suggestion for people, it's not, oh, I'm going to take on everything, but just even a minor switch or switching things around, it does change the dynamic at home. So yeah. Hmm. Indeed, it's about carving out those small moments where both parents can bond with the child, right? So other than, of course, ferrying Angela to and from school, how did you think also about the other responsibilities, given that both of you are in uh, very time-consuming and very intensive, fast-paced careers? How did that look like? For us, I guess, there are certain activities where we want to do it together. There's a certain activity that it's like a mommy's activity, mommy's time versus daddy time, because I think it's important you carve up time that how the relationship are born between you and the kids versus together. So bathing is a key time that we actually want to do together because it's end of the day when mm. they're really relaxed and, you know, we are playing and, and winding down. So I think it's important to carve out different elements. You don't have to do everything together, but it's a balance and making sure both of the parents have their own special time with the kids because that is what they're going to remember when they grow up. It's every Saturday, my daddy bring me to the wet market and we eat hawker center. These are some of the moments that it will be lasting for the kids when they're growing up. Yeah, I think that's spot on, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be big things like you know going on a holiday or, or doing something big. It's actually these small moments that actually stick with us for life. So, so I really appreciate you sharing that, Queenie. Thanks for that. Now, of course, Angela is now is probably considered a toddler. She's two and a half years old. She's probably learning how to speak and increasing her vocabulary. And there's this saying called terrible twos. Tell me more about this, right? From her being uh, a baby, crawling, just goo goo gaga, until now, someone who can talk and communicate. What has the transition looked like? And what are some of the challenges? 
Yeah, I guess the transition has been huge from definitely speaking a few words to now stringing together as a sentence. And being a first-generation COVID baby, she is quite shy when she sees other people. But when she's with us, like she can't, she's a chatterbox, just like the mother, I guess. <laughs> and, and she can constantly talk and she's a very happy and joyous baby. But I think in between saying a few words to talking a sentence, a key element what why people sort of always relate to the terrible too is how do they regulate their emotion and this is something that we came in sort of preparing and reading a lot of books to her because the reason why two years old or three years old chuck tantrum is they cannot express themselves fully or they cannot regulate that emotion so we start with doing storybooks about what emotion means not just happy and sad but what object does it relate to for her happy is a balloon sad is there's an elephant in your heart. For her, when she's crying, I go be calm because the image she relate to is a balloon. And I will pretend to blow an image of, I'm blowing a balloon. Let me take the elephant from your heart and put a balloon in you. Those are the conversations that I found quite helpful. And she understand that I am listening to her and she can express her emotion. So by reading a book, correlating to different image or stuff that she understand, definitely help with that transition and I really enjoy my moment being with her every day. Wow. Okay, Queenie, this is actually advice for myself because my daughter now, she's 15 months where I'm getting to that stage. Tell me a bit more about that association technique that you use, the balloon and the elephant. Where did you learn that from and could you elaborate a bit more on how you kind of trained that association or how that came about? So we purchase different books on emotion and not every book will correlate for your kids. So it's good you buy different book and I think it's important you read to them and see which one that resonate with them and then stick with that type of book. I have mother's friend that use color as an association for feelings. But for me, as I mentioned, what works is there's this book that associate with different objects saying your heart is like a house. You have many feelings. One day you can be like this. And one day you can be calm, like a balloon. Angry, it's like a fire and a band-aid. So for me, just reading it to her and at the end of the story, it will ask you always, how do you feel today? So for her to actually express it, whether it's with word or you do image, like I literally blow a balloon, I action of blowing a balloon to say, I'm going to put this in your heart. I'm going to take the elephant away from you. I'm going to take the fire from your heart and put it in there. A combination of image, action really helped for her to resonate, even though when she can't really express herself. The other thing I use when she's chuck tantrum is, I think the first thing we need to say to her is, mommy is here to listen. I'm listening to you. Tell me, I'm listening. Once you establish that you are listening, they do tend to calm down. It's just a magic word. <laughs> Trust me, I was quite surprised. But just calm it down. Mommy's listening. Mommy's listening. And that is where I think she regulates a, a lot better. It's because she's being heard. Wow, that's packed full of golden advice. And I think that marks also such a different shift from perhaps at least how I remember I was being parented, right? The idea of listening and telling your children yes. that you're listening to them can sometimes sound a little foreign, I feel, like to my parents yes. and, and to their generation, but they feel like, stop acting up, right? And like, and it's usually followed by a threat or sort. Like, if you do this, this will happen. But truly, right, to be able to empathize and develop that sense in her, that's wonderful. So thanks so much for sharing that. Right? And also, I mean, I guess as Angela continues to grow, as she continues to discover the world, what's perhaps one or two of the most memorable moments you have shared with her over the past year? 
Oh, that's a tough one because we have so many. <laughs> <laughs> I think recently I start sharing cooking experience with her because cooking is one of my passion. That's a way I mm. express love, and that's the way my mum expressed love to me is by cooking. For me, so she have her fake toys <laughs> with a chopping board, with her plastic fruit and stuff like that. So when I do prep for a meal, I get her on one of those standing stool in our kitchen, and I give her something soft that she can cut, like tofu or whatsoever. So it's a bonding experience, even though it's not real. But to her, it's like we're doing something together. And this is the Asian side of us, our traditional Asian. We inherit the secret recipe from your mom. Cooking and food is very important. Even though we born in a very multicultural family, I do want to make sure she have the that sort of Chinese element of her about cooking and providing for people and sharing love. And same as just when I mentioned about managing emotion. That is one trait I'm definitely learning from my husband. When I met the in-law, it's like they hug you, they say I love you. It's very different. And being in a multicultural family, you take the best from both, and you you teach it to to your children.、Mm. Yeah. Okay, I gotta dive a bit deeper into that. I think there's a lot of wonderful things that come with a multicultural environment, a lot of new perspectives. But what was perhaps one area where initially you and your husband disagreed on, or perhaps had very different views? That's a tough one. <laughs> I probably need a bit of thinking time. Let's say in the field or discipline, was there differences, or were you pretty aligned in that? No, I think we are pretty aligned in that. Oh, that's and, nice. And I、okay. think we we have a pack and say sometimes we do lose our patience, but it's almost about tag team. It's just like a wrestler thing. When I'm so angry, I go, "Okay, Marty, you you come in, you take turn," because you don't want to lose your cool so much in、mm. front of your kids. They pick on everything you do, and I think it's very important because that's how they pick、True. up, and that's how they're going to treat other kids in the playground when they're angry if they start yelling and screaming. So I guess for us, it's that、mm. constant role modeling. It's actually quite important. But yeah, let me think <laughs> whether there's anything we are quite different with our bringing. No, we're actually quite pretty aligned. <laughs> Yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay. So, Queenie, now I'm gonna shift gears a little, right? Because I think, like you mentioned earlier, how being a parent has shaped you and helped you become a better leader at the workplace. Maybe tell us a bit more about that lessons that you have applied as a parent in the workplace. I think earlier you're mentioning about the nurturing bit. What were some of the changes? So let's say I ask your team members, how has Queenie changed since she became a mum? What would they say? I think for me, the big change as a leader is be clear of what you stand for and what you advocate for. And for me, being a mother, I have better appreciation and understanding what are the postnatal challenges, what are returning to mum, and definitely with the COVID, what is mental health. So for me, I think that's a major change. And a year ago, when I went back to work, I've decided to actually start this series called Untold Story. It was just simply sharing my personal story as a working mother with postnatal challenge and the impact of pandemic and how I manage it. And to be honest, originally my intention is just to share my story, encourage other, so then people don't felt like they are alone. And when a leader actually speak about it, then People at different level realize it's actually open 
to it's okay to discuss about it. And through sharing this story, I was hoping we can really transform our environment to be more empathetic and understanding, especially when COVID hit. The human interaction is lesser, right? Because we don't go to the office. We are all just behind a screen. And we got so much feedback from sharing such a vulnerable story that really people connect to. So writing on that, I realized that is something I really want to stand for, is creating the culture that people feel safe to talk about what they're going through. So within the last year, we have continued a series of untold story, but we did different inclusive story, covering different persona, both from a female and male perspective, and also targeting at different stage of life, dealing with challenges and struggle that they might have masked themselves away from work. And this story sort of gives you tips and guidelines how you can navigate through those challenges. And I guess a few of them particular relating to parents, apart from my motherhood story, we did one about fatherhood for a father who almost lost his wife Mm. after she gave birth and he had to look after the elderly and the newborn, how he shared that story. Wow. We did a few interviews with parents with special needs kids, that they have kids with autism, Down syndrome. How did they actually manage and care for them? So there are so many different personas, even just within the parenting itself, that people need to be aware of. And yeah, and and I think through the Untold Story, we definitely create a platform that we connect to people during this COVID time. And I think it was such a timely time to launch it. And the three key thing about this whole Untold Story, we call it the three H, is how to be, be more human. And the three H we talk about is honesty, hope, and humanity. And I think more than ever, every organization need today is how do we be more human to really retain our talent? So yeah, and I think through this, that's definitely create a lot of awareness for people and leader to learn about different dimensions of inclusion. And I think it's through me going through these challenges as a mother, it gave me the courage to speak up, to be bold on what I stand for and be an advocate for a cause that it created a movement in our organization. That's so inspiring, Queenie. And I think what really excites me is how you are able to do this in a large organization, right? I think one of the challenges that sometimes parents or even generally we might view it's, oh, I'm part of a large organization, a large company. How do I even go about starting such a thing? So for our audience who are listening to this, who might be inspired and are thinking of ways to kind of start this in their workplace, what advice would you give to them? I guess drawing back my original intention writing the story is not to make it like a blockbuster thing, but it was just a simple way to just share my story that you are not alone. And I was really surprised when I just wrote out this story. It's word of mouth and it just ripple effect. I started with a group of three, 300 people and then I actually spoke to the CIO. This is what I went through and I want to share that story. And he gave me a platform to go to 3,000 people in there. Then later on, the chief of staff have heard it. Then it across all technology. Then again, a few months later, I've got a call from our group CEO and CFO that say, can we do a podcast bank wide for 33 countries on the importance of mental health? To be honest, when I started, I never thought we are here to create a movement. It was just a simple, humble (laughs) course of, I just want to share my story so people know they are not alone. But When you are true to your stand, people see and doors just open itself organically. So just start with a simple step. Mm. Every step you make can make a difference. 
So that would be my simple advice. Just start small and it will create ripple effects. I guess for other more practical tips in, in general, for leaders dealing with parents or return to work mum, which is a quite a passionate topic for me, is I guess during maternity leave, it's important for the leader to check in with them, perhaps one month before they come back to start having the conversation how they are. It means a lot. And I think the other key thing is it happens to a lot of people when you're in maternity leave, organisation have gone through changes. Your role might not be there when you come back. So by having that honest conversation and be proactive in helping them to find the right role when they come back, that really align with the priority and their ambitions. Because the worst thing you want is you come back and you realise my role is not there. They're already trying to build back up their confidence, but let alone this. So all those pulse checks that a leader can do just prior to that coming back will make a big difference. Got it. Got it. Wow. Thanks for that. And I think, like you said, right, starting small and also being engaged, being proactive. If you are a leader of a team with a mom who is on maternity leave or even dad who are on maternity leave, right, to take that first step towards engaging them. So th- thanks a lot for sharing that, Queenie. Now, I got to ask you this, right, because I noticed you are a mental health first eater. First off, tell us a bit more about what that is and how you got into it also. So uh, Mental Health First Aider is a qualified course that sits in UK and, and it's a course that our company are very supportive in getting more people certified and have better understanding of what mental health means. And personally, going through the postnatal challenge, it's, it's an area that I'm really passionate about. But I guess in order to help someone, you, you do need to have some knowledge about it. And so it is a course that talks about different levels of mental health. It can range from just having blue day to depression to it gets so serious in a disorder that you might want to take your life. So mental health first aider is to equip people in the organization that people can reach out to as almost like the first level of triage. And we are not counselor or, or anything to help them, but at the first level of triage that if we know that you're at risk of harming yourself or anything serious, we'll, we'll help you to navigate and find the right venue. Because it's very daunting to tell someone, go speak to a counsellor, go seeing a psychologist. Whereas if we're in a I'm rich of your organisation, people are probably more open to it to support that. So in our organisation, we care so much about the well-being of our employees. And our target, we do want to make sure we have at least one certified mental health first aider for every 1,000 employees and also one in and spread it across all the markets that we have. So... For me, it's just learning more about this topic so I can actually help people on that. Got it. And I think that's a wonderful initiative because like you said, there is such a real stereotype against uh, mental health. No one questions it when you are sick and you go to a doctor, but it seems like there's still this stigma that is there, but thankfully it's changing. So I guess on the topics of stigmas and stereotypes, what is one status quo or stereotype that you reject whether as a mum or as a parent working in tech? I think it's definitely the stigma of mental health, that it's a taboo topic Mm. that you don't talk about at work. I think it's now more than ever, it's more important we talk about mental health with COVID and the impact to both female and, you know, men or even at children. And a lot of our employees are going through this challenge behind closed door or even behind the screen they are at. And I love the quote that everyone has mental health. You are either thriving or you are just surviving. It's like having good Mm. or bad days. But when your bad day just keep continuing and it's just impacting you so much, 
then it's important that you acknowledge those signs and do something about it or talk to someone. So that is one of the calls that we want to normalize, normalize talking about not mental health and make people feel like it's not something that they need to hide it. And in my untold story, this is one of the key vision that I have. I wonder one day whether we can really create an environment that people can talk about mental health, like having a migraine or a cold and flu. So, and that's very mm. powerful for, for our organization to have such culture. And that's what really makes people stay. I 100% agree. And and I think while we are not there yet, we're certainly working towards it. I'm excited at what you're doing and you're championing within your organization. So Queenie, we are going to be releasing this episode on International Women's Day. What message would you like to share with all the mums out there? I guess my key message to them is be kind to yourself. There is a saying that it takes a village to raise a kid. And you are raising this kid. You are already amazing as it is. And it is one of the hardest jobs. So pat yourself on the back and celebrate with all those who have helped you in this journey. That's wonderful. Well, thanks so much for this time, Queenie. And if some of our listeners, especially moms, would like to connect with you, how can they best do so? Definitely. Yeah, and please connect through LinkedIn. Yeah, you can find me, Queenie Chan, in Standard Charter Bank. Sure, we will do so. Well, thank you so much, Queenie, for taking time off to join us in Paris in Tech. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech podcast with me, your host, Tsingen. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback, or suggestion. Once again, the website is www parents.fm That's all for this episode folks. See you next time.